if any of our young ones want to go to children's church, please feel free to come on with them right now. They're waiting right here in the uh, foyer, I mean, uh, the welcome center for you, and I apologize for not mentioning her. Y'all take your time. No hurry. Um, being with the way we're having to operate with this uh, uh, different times and schedules and the way we got used to doing things, it gets us out of sync sometimes, so y'all bear with me, and I appreciate your patience, okay? 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, if you would find verse 1, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 is where we'll begin reading in just a few moments. As I told you, we've been talking about living as though we're dying, you know, we talked about in the first week, which was, this is our third week talking on this subject, uh, you know, we talked about how that... Um, Adrian Rogers said years ago, we are dying men, preaching to dying men, and we do know that the Bible teaches us that our earthly tabernacle, our earthly tent, is in the process of being dismantled, you know, and that's not encouraging words, but the encouraging part is we do have a, for the child of God, we've got a home in heaven, and we're going to get a new tent one day, right? We're going to get a new tabernacle, we're going to get a new body, a new life, and we're going to spend eternity with Jesus, so... That makes it worth it all. But between now and then, we've got a life to live for his glory. And I believe it's very important that we do that. And as we're doing that, that we would realize that God has a purpose. God has a plan for us. And he wants us to fulfill that to the very best of how he has gifted us. If you found your place and physically able, would you stand with me in honor and reverence to the reading of God's word? 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you would begin reading with me at verse 1. Here's what the Bible says. It says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, <coughs> they will heap to themselves teachers. They will turn their hearts, excuse me, turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, <coughs> endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist in fulfill your ministry for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand I have fought the good fight I have finished the race I have kept the faith finally there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will give to me on that day not to me only but also to all who have loved his appearing. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray you'd speak mildly to our hearts in the time we've gathered. I thank you for these people that I stand before today. God, I, I know how much I love them, and I can only begin to fathom how much you do. Your love is perfect, it's pure, it's holy. And Father, I'm grateful for the love you've shown. God, use your word to challenge and change us by the power of the Spirit today. May the Son of God be glorified as our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Today I'm speaking to you on the subject of living 
in order. When you think about the subject of order, you think about a lot of different things and think about how uh, the word order affects our lives in more than one way. The Webster's Dictionary defines order as an authoritative direction, an instruction, a command, or a mandate. When we think about orders, we know that those are things that must be carried out, and that's the way the Word of God speaks to the child of God. But when I think about how the word order is used in Scripture, I think, first of all, about how in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 40, <clears throat> Paul speaking to the church at Corinth, he said these words, he said, Let all things be done decently and in order. You see, he was writing to the people of God at Corinth. He was writing to a particular church, but it speaks to the church body as a whole today to remind us that that church was very troubled. That church had some very difficult things going on, and they needed some order in the house. If you read the book of 1 Timothy, you know Paul talks specifically to Timothy about how to do church right. It's very important we understand about order and authority among the body of Christ. But also think about the word order from the Old Testament where Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 20, the Bible said that he was sick unto death. That means he was fixing to check out. He was almost done. And the Bible said that he was told that night that he was to set his house in order. We read about the change that was made and 15 years was added to his life, but he had come to a point of decision, a point of crisis where he was going to have to get things right. He was going to have to set his house in order. Well, we've often heard, and I know many times even in my family and even my ministry, I've, uh, I've loved and ministered to a lot of folks over the years who, who've come back from the doctor and they've been given these instructions maybe you should go home and take some time to get your affairs in order many people are given the news that their life will soon be over and they have a limited amount of time in order to get final preparations made on this side for their departure well as important as making preparations on this side are and we should as far as those things are important, they're not near as important about what preparations you've made for the other side. Because, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible is very clear to us in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, that it's appointed unto man wants to die, and after this the judgment. There is an appointment with death that cannot be canceled or rescheduled. It is one you will keep, and that after that you have a second appointment with judgment that you will keep. We'll talk about more in a minute. <clears throat> But when we think about getting things in order, we see those two examples. But uh, the example that I've read to you today from 2 Timothy chapter 4, I believe is probably the greatest example of a man who was confident that he had his house or his affairs in order. Uh, we read this letter, and it's a very personal letter. It's a very personal chapter because he's giving his farewell to Timothy. He's giving his farewell to this world and in doing so, he gets very personal in talking directly to Timothy, but he's also talking through Timothy to you and I today. So as we read this text, it really causes us to have to think about some things that are going to matter once this life is over. 
You know, since I've been your pastor, I've spoke to you many times and I've reminded you and I've tried to encourage you that we need to be living this life for things that are going to matter five seconds after we're gone instead of the things that will not be mattering five seconds after we're gone. But I'm afraid the truth of the matter is people are living more for the temporary than they are the eternal. And that's why the Word of God and this preacher is standing for you today to try to help you because the desire of my heart is to see you live with order. Well, as I said, you know, our computer's not working, so if you're taking some notes, I'll give you some things you might want to write down today because I believe with all of my heart that there's instruction in these eight verses that we cannot overlook. The first thing that Paul <clears throat> tells Timothy about living with order is, is he gives him some important instructions in those first four verses. And in those important instructions, his first part of the instructions involves a solemn charge. He says, Timothy, I'm charging you. means I'm calling you out personally by name. I'm calling you out not just before the Apostle Paul, but I'm calling you out before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's calling him out because this is a personal uh, call on his life because he has a personal relationship with Jesus, but he also had a very close and personal relationship uh, with Paul. He said, I'm charging you before God, before the Lord Jesus Christ, because he's going to judge the small and the great. He's coming to be judged. And he said, I want you to do this. I'm going to issue you a solemn charge. And it involves proclamation. What do you mean by that? Well, the first part of the charge is he gives him three words. He says, I want you to preach the word. That doesn't mean preach about the word, preach around the word. He says, I want you to go tell people what I've said. I want you to deliver my message, not yours, not someone else's. I want you to deliver my message to the world because the message that I'm sending through you to them is a message that will change their life on earth, but it will change their eternity forever. So when he talks about preaching there, he's talking about preaching the Word, the Bible. It is the standard by which we all live, and it is the standard by which we will all be judged. Did you know that? You'll not be judged by the standards of the Southern Baptist Convention or by any denomination. You'll not be judged by the courts of this land in eternity. You will be judged by what the Word of God says and whether or not you have lived by its truth. We need to understand that today because if we don't, we'll be messed up. We won't have any direction or foundation for our lives. So he's telling you, here's what I want you to do my word. I want you to preach it. Well, let's talk about what that means. What does it mean to preach the word? I like the way Tony Evans put it. Tony Evans put it like that. He said, when we talk about preaching the word, it is as if a herald has the message that he takes to the people that he has received from the king, and he tells the people what the king had to say. Amen? Now, I like the way the Old Testament prophets approach that. You see, a prophet was one who spoke to the people on behalf of God. The priests were the ones who spoke to God on behalf of the people, but the prophets were the preachers. They were the ones who got a word from God and went and told the people exactly what God said. Now, let's just be honest. In the Old Testament, when their message was received by the people, it wasn't always received with joy and cheer. 
Jeremiah, remember, they would, people would come to him and say, Jeremiah, is there any word from the Lord? And when he got a word from the Lord, he would go tell them what God said. They would not respond appropriately, and he would weep over the sins of the people. Amos had went before the people and he began to tell them over and over and over, listen, this is what God said. And in Amos chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Because you have continually rejected what God had to say, prepare to meet your God. Wasn't what they wanted to hear, but it was what God had sent through them. See, biblical preaching confronts us with God through the Word. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit through the personality of a preacher so that we will understand and respond to God. Ladies and gentlemen, there is something to be said about the faithful proclamation of the Word of God today. He's very clear in that because without the faithful proclamation of what God said, we are left to do what we think is best. Well, it's not just the proclamation was part of his solemn charge, but there was also a second part, and that's the preparation. He talks about that. He says, you need to be ready. Be ready when? Be ready when it is season, when it's out of season. Be ready to convince, rebuke, resort with all long-suffering and doctrine. He said, you need to be ready to preach when you feel like it and preach when you don't. You need to be ready to proclaim the Word of God regardless of what's going on, regardless of even the response of your listeners. Ladies and gentlemen, I had to learn a long time ago, and I try to remember this each day, is that when we serve God, when we live for God, when we preach the Word of God, when we do anything for the glory of God, our applause should not be expected from people. It should be from the audience of one in the throne room of heaven. Because apart from that, we're in trouble, I believe, with all of my heart. It's important that we understand that, that we don't, uh, that we don't get uh, uh, too caught up in the response. But here's what he said. He said, if you're going to be faithfully prepared to preach the word, then there's three parts of the totality of the art and the act of preaching that you cannot miss. And like I had told him in the early service, I've been fortunate to read some wonderful books on biblical preaching. Uh, Haddon Robinson wrote a book called Biblical, Re biblical Preaching. Uh, not biblical reaching, but biblical preaching. But anyhow, he, <laughs> he, he wrote a wonderful book on that subject. Um, I, I read Stephen Olford on anointed expository preaching. I've read Jerry Vine's Power in the Pulpit and all these wonderful books uh, on, on the art and the act and the moment of preaching the gospel. And man, what a help they have been. But the greatest advice and the greatest commentary you will ever find on the Word of God is simply the Word of God. Here's what I find the Word of God says. That if I'm going to be prepared to proclaim and be instant in season and out of season, there's three parts of that that make up biblical preaching. He said you need to be ready to convince, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Now let's take each one of those. Let's talk about rebuke for a minute. Rebuke simply means to point out error. It is not something that any godly preacher should enjoy doing. Now, I, I don't enjoy telling you when you're wrong. I don't enjoy doing that. I know some people, do y'all have a friend, if they're probably not a close friend, but somebody who loves to say, I told you so? Y'all don't have a friend like that? A former friend? <laughs> you, you, you probably know somebody. Probably somebody you work with, somebody in your family, maybe somebody at home, I don't know, that loves to say, I told you so. Well, you know, that's not really good because 
Uh, it doesn't really foster good relationships. But there's a lot of people who love to point out error, but for the fact of biblical preaching, it's not something we enjoy, but it is something that must be done. See, where the Bible calls something sin, we can't call it anything else. Uh, we can't call it alternative lifestyle. We can't call it substance abuse. We just have to call it sin, amen, because that's what it is. So when we call sin, sin, it's not something we enjoy doing, but it is a mandate from heaven to do so because if we don't, we're not faithful to the gospel. But to rebuke means to point out error. That means that we show where error has been uh, created. Now, the second part is translated in New King James convince, but it's also translated reprove. Now, the word reproof, I like this part. Marty, you'll remember this, Marty. You were taking notes at 9 o'clock, weren't you? Okay, just checking. All right, he's taking notes now. But yeah, it's a reproof. Now, here's the deal. When I give a word of rebuke, yes, it points out error. It's not something we enjoy doing, but reproof means this. It takes it a step further. It means not only do we point out error, but as we're pointing out error, we do so with the intent to correct the erroneous behavior. It's important for you to know as a follower of Jesus Christ that when you miss the mark and when you sin and you fall short of the glory of God, it's one thing for somebody to say, aha, I told you so, but we don't need a bunch of I told you so people. We need people who are willing to get down on our hands and knees and roll up our sleeves and do the dirty work of helping you correct the behavior and not continue the behavior. Anybody with me? Everybody's like, I knew it. I knew he wouldn't last. Well, he might have lasted if he'd had somebody to help him, if he'd had somebody to got down in the trench with him, if he'd had somebody to get down on their hands and knees and help lift him up when he fell. Yeah, he might have lasted like that, Marty, but listen to me. We're real good at rebuking, but we have trouble with the reproof because the reproof requires effort on the body of Christ to help those that are struggling. <laughs> See, he's like, I knew he wouldn't last. I can remember when I first surrendered to preach. I, I remember people telling me, ah, I don't know. I don't know, you know. I don't think he'll last. I won't last long. He'll get over that. You know, I'd love to stand here and tell you that it is because of my own strength and because of my own intellect and because of my own determination that I've been able to last 34 years, but can I say this to you? It has absolutely nothing to do with my ability or my intellect or my strength or my determination. I stand before you today as a man that is a picture of the grace of what God can do because only God can do it. Only God can. And if I ever get to thinking that I can, I will fall flat on my face. Oh, but when he gets a hold of you, when he transforms your life, and when you see the power and the mighty working transformational power of God alive, I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, I don't stand stand before you somebody's lasted because of me. I stand before you to this day, thus far in my journey because of the good grace of God. God, help us today. Thank God that there were some reprovers out there. They said, yeah, that's wrong, but I can help you get it right. And then there's another part, the exhortation. This is the part I like. I like to encourage people. Don't you? 
Don't you like to be around encouraging people? Or would you rather be around people who literally suck the life out of you? <laughs> Do you want those who drain the joy or those who bring joy? Hey, have you ever been around folks before that literally by being around them for five minutes you felt better? Please tell me something. Okay, good. Because all of us have been around folks that in five minutes we've had all we can take. Y'all know those people. But what we need is more people who are adding to our life and not taking away from our life. And listen, not only do we need people who are adding to our life, we need to be a person who is adding to other people's lives. You know what exhorters do? They encourage. Now look here. All of us enjoy the exhortation. We love it when the preacher says, Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us, Romans 8, 37. We like what the rest of Romans 8, 35 through 39 says, that I'm persuaded in neither height nor depth, nothing under heaven can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We like that, don't we? We like Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Man, we love that stuff. There's nothing under heaven we can't accomplish through the love of God. But we have a hard time accepting that part of the faithfulness and the totality of biblical preaching involves that I need to be told when I'm wrong and I need somebody to help me get it right. Hear me. If you fall on your face, this preacher is not here to tell you I told you so. Are y'all with me? I'm not here to tell you. you. You ever heard people saying, I knew it, I saw it coming saw them, man. I saw them slipping. I saw them sliding. I saw them drifting. I saw it coming. Then why didn't you do something about it? Well, I didn't want to be nosy. Oh, for heaven's sake. We got a world of people that don't mind. It's not, when somebody's about to fall, if I'm going down Heflin Mountain, you know, I learned to drive before they had guardrails. Anybody else? Amen. I mean, you know, that was where they tested you to see if you could really do it. I mean, now it's a breeze, but I'm thinking no guardrails. But if I saw you about to go off the side of that cliff, and I had the ability to help you keep from falling, and I just said, well, I don't want to get involved. And then after that, I go see your family and said, yeah, I saw them going to the cliff, but I just didn't want to get involved. Somebody's going to punch me in the nose. They're going to say, why didn't you help them? Because sometimes it's hard work. And that's the thing about ministry. I tell our deacons all the time, ministry is messy. It's not always squeaky clean. There's a real devil out there that really hates people, and he really hates the church, and he really hates Jesus, and he hates anybody that follows him, and he's going to do anything he can to try to discourage us. Wow. Exhortation. He gives a solemn charge that says, listen, boys, we need to be faithful in the proclamation and we need to be faithful in the preparation. But then he also issues this. He issues a sincere caution. He says, Timothy, there's a time coming, son. It's not far down the road, but there's a time coming when even the church won't endure sound teaching. 
What's he doing? He's talking about that there would be a day that there would be an abandonment of sound doctrine. Church, are we there? Are we there? People don't appreciate sound doctrine like they used to. Oh, there was times when I was younger, you could preach on certain things and take a stand on certain issues and the church would cheer. And now they're like, I don't know. <laughs> the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. He said, they're going to abandon the truth. See, we live in a culture today that's all about tolerance. You hear that word a lot? We've been hearing that for you know a long time now. Thought about tolerance. He said you got to be tolerant. And, and then we hear this stuff. Say you know the church, and I've, I've addressed this forward on mention again. They said the church and the preachers are just too narrow minded. I've reminded you before what Jesus said: straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Oh wait, and few there be. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many go in thereby. There's a day when we've abandoned the sound doctrine of the Word of God because it's not popular. It's not just the church. Let me tell you, it's a day where the preacher will abandon it because he wants to be relevant. I hear this stuff now. Oh, we just need to preach about felt needs. <laughs> I, I really don't know what all needs are among this congregation today. I really don't know what all desires. I really don't know what inadequacies or inefficiencies. I don't know what's going on. But I know this. If we'll just preach this word, he'll address it. He don't need me to address it. He will address it through his word. And all I'm saying to you is, is life is short. Time is short. There is no time to waste. And we can't abandon the sound doctrine of the word of God. And he said this. He said there will not only be an abandonment of sound doctrine, but there will be an acceptance of shameful deception. They will not endure sound doctrine, but here's what they're going to do. They're going to reject those that stick to it. And they're going to run to those that make them feel good. Now, I want you to feel good. I want you to be encouraged. I want to exhort you. But I'm going to stay true to this book regardless of what it costs me. <laughs> I told them earlier, I'll tell you again, you talk about what makes you feel good. Lots of times, you know, for breakfast... I, I've been eating the cereal that tastes like glorified cardboard. Y'all have that? Doctor says it's good for me. He's just not there early in the morning when I'm trying to choke down the glorified cardboard. But you know what tastes good? What's real good? It's almost lunchtime. An upside down banana split from the tasty. Woo! Where John? Woo! Little Ric Flair. <laughs> he was going to give me one. Mom slapped me. <laughs> you okay, John? 
Hey, we're not talking about an upside down banana split. Now, I can tell them I've been ordering them since I could reach the counter. And, uh, and I remember Miss Betty, she'd chop them up just right through banana. Now, I'm not going to tell you what. Now, that tastes real good. But if I only eat what tastes real good, it's not real good for me. And when it comes to the Word of God, and when it comes to life, if you only want to take in what the world says is good, and you don't take in a steady diet of the Word of God, I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, you will be an unhealthy Christian. You, you will have spiritual diabetes. Or what's that the guy says, diabetes? Just say that him. That went for diabetes, right? You'll have all the you'll have all sorts of spiritual illness because you've only taken in what made you feel good instead of what was really good. Sometimes to stomach the meat of the word of God is tough. Sometimes it takes some chewing. Sometimes it takes some heavy swallowing. Sometimes it takes some effort. But here's what Paul said, Timothy, they're going to reject the doctrine, they're going to reject those that stand for it, and they're going to round them up, some pretty boys that are slick and talk about felt needs, and they're going to find somebody that's abandoned the word, and they're going to really rally around them because they make them feel good. We are there. We don't have to wait to get there. We are there. That was heavy on my heart today, and I've said it twice, and it's still there. You know why? Because people are being deceived all around us. Some important instructions. I've got to move quick, okay? This is the second part he gives in, begins there in verse 5. He makes a personal petition. I told you that this chapter is very personal from Paul to Timothy. You know how much he loved him. You re, have you ever, when you read the, the, the re, about the relationship in Scripture between Paul and Timothy, man, it just stirs my heart to think, man, what it must have been like to have walked with Paul, to talk with Paul, to been on missionary journey with Paul, to be led to Jesus by Paul. It must have been something. And then to have him write you letters, this must have been something. He, he called him his son. Goodness, man. Here's what he's saying. You might want to put a circle around those first two words in verse 5 where he says these words, but you too. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Timothy, you're going to be different. Timothy, you're not going to be like these people. You're on mission with God. You are different, and you're different on purpose, and you're different because Jesus Christ transformed your life. You can't be like them. You're different for the glory of God. I talk about our young people, and I look forward to finding ways to minister better to young people in our community, with our, even with our kickoff event on November 4th. And I think about that, and I think about young people. I told sometimes young people in their teenage years, they spend all their time trying to fit in with people that 20 years later they wonder, what was I thinking? Right? And if you're a Christian young person, you need to know this, or a Christian of any age, God has not called you to fit in with other people. He's not called you to fit in with the 
world. He's not called you to look like the world, act like the world, talk like the world, walk like the world. He's not called you to fit in. He has called you to stand out. He's called you to be different. He's called you to not be like everybody else. It's important we understand that. But listen, it's very, it's very clear that Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's saying, listen, Timothy, you're different for a reason. Well, walk with me through verse 5. He gives him four, three or four things here. In this personal petition, here's what he does. The first thing he does is he tells Timothy to conduct an evaluation. He says, you need to be watchful in all things. You need to be watching out for what's going on. You know, that's one of the most difficult responsibilities I've ever had as a pastor is trying to keep your eyes on all the plates that are spinning and all the balls that are bouncing and trying to be watchful in all things. It's a difficult thing because there, it's almost impossible sometimes, but the fact of the matter is it's a responsibility given to us by God. And here's what Paul told Timothy. He said, I want you to be watchful in all things. I want you to be the one who guards the gate. You say, well, I'm glad that's the responsibility of pastors and leaders. I don't need to guard the gate. Let me tell you a gate you need to guard. You need to guard the gate of your own heart because what gets in your heart will take root in your heart. And Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You'll talk about what matters to you. We'll talk about that more in a minute. And he says, you're going to have to make an evaluation. You're going to have to guard the gate. But then he says this. He talks to him about uh, some endurance. He said, you're going to have to accept adversity. He said, it's coming. You're going to have to endure some hardships. In chapter 2 of this same letter, he was telling about being a good soldier and how you're going to have to be enduring to the end and be faithful to the finish. You're going to have to expect some adversity. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've not had any adversity from the devil in quite some time, can I say it could be that you have switched and you are now going in the same direction as him. Because if you're walking with God, you're going to have confrontation with the devil. Promise you that. If you're not having confrontation with him, something's wrong with you, not wrong with God. And you need to repent today and get that right with God. Why? Because we will have adversity and we have to accept it. Third word, he gives him a word about evangelism. And what does that mean? It means simply you're going to share God's story. You know, I told you we talk about what we're passionate about. I believe the reason a lot of people don't talk about Jesus is simply they're not passionate about it. The reason people don't talk about the word of God, don't spend much time with it. But we talk about what we're passionate about. We talk about what matters. We talk about what's going on. And when we talk about the Word of God, it has the ability to change somebody's life. It lets people know whose side we're on. It lets people know whose team we're on. It lets people know, you know why they have different colors and different color helmets and different color jerseys? So they can distinguish which team is, which side the player's on. Very important we understand that. If they all had the same color helmet and all had the same color jersey, nobody would know who's on whose team. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're on God's team, and we don't have to wear a jersey. We don't have to wear a helmet. We've been covered with the blood of Jesus Christ, and it is a story that we need to share. You know, Baptists have always been good at sharing, ain't they? <laughs> We've always been good at that. Oh, let me share with you. What about sharing a message that will change somebody's eternal destination? What about making a difference for the glory of God? And then he talks about the ending. See that? Verse 5. He said, Timothy, fulfill your ministry. You know, you can look in that, and First and Second Timothy and Titus, those three books are called the pastoral epistles because Paul's writing to two pastors in two different places with two different missions. 
he's writing to Titus at Crete, and he's writing to Timothy in Ephesus, and he's encouraging them and giving them instruction, and he's talking to them about a lot of things. He said, but you need to fulfill your ministry. He's saying, you have a specific calling from God, a specific plan and purpose, and you need to make sure you fulfill what God put you here to do. A lot of folks read that and they say, man, I'm glad he's talking to the pastor there. I'm glad he's talking to Timothy. He's talking to pastors. Let me just say this to you. If you are a member of the body of Christ, if you have been washed in the blood of Calvary, if you have repented of your sins and trusted Jesus Christ and him alone for your eternal salvation, and you are a child of the Most High God through his precious blood, then my friend, not only are you a member of the body of Christ, but you are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Say, so I'm not a preacher. Oh, yeah, you are. I don't have a pulpit. Oh, yeah, you do. See, pulpits are not just what we put on a platform and stand behind. Pulpits, I'll tell you what, you've got one and you're standing behind one and you're preaching a message out there to people every day of every week and you're either preaching a message that's pointing people to God or away from God. And I'm telling you, God will not hold us unaccountable for our ministry. <laughs> you've got to fulfill your ministry. You've got to complete your course. And then let me share this with you. Those last few verses really, really speak to my heart. Because not only is he talking about this petition that he's issued, not only is he talking about the instructions that he's issued, but he's talking about devotion until departure. You know, I was reading Tony Evans too the other day, and he was talking about sometimes... When it comes to a <clears throat> a athletic competition or whether it's any sport, but sometimes teams don't always do well in the first quarter. Sometimes they might not be doing well at halftime. Sometimes they may struggle, but what matters is how they finish. You see, ladies and gentlemen, people are not always going to remember how you live, but they will remember how you leave. Paul talked about his devotion and he wanted it to be clear all the way to his departure notice what he said in verse 6 he said I'm already being poured out as a drink offering that's a word about his total consecrated life to the Lord in the Old Testament when they would pour the drink offerings they would pour it kind of at the end of the burnt offering and as it went on the hot coals the steam would ascend as a symbolism of the completeness of their sacrifice Paul was talking about his life he said I'm already being poured out and the time of my departure is at hand ladies and gentlemen even if all of us live to be 100 years old or 120 years old or however it might be I want you to know that it's still a very small window of time in the scope of eternity I can only think about someday my children will take their grandchildren and they'll go, maybe if, if, the, if the world lasts, they'll go buy an old tombstone and they'll look down there and they'll read my name. And, and they'll see, born March 14, 1971. And then they'll look down there, my whiz kid, great grandkids, I know they're going to be brilliant, they'll, uh, because of their grandmother, but uh, 
they'll get their calculator out and they'll say, golly, great granddaddy only lived to be 115. <laughs> well, what did he do in those years? Well, there won't be so much about what I live, but they'll all remember how we leave. And Paul said this, my life might matter, but what's really going to matter is how I leave. And let me tell you how I'm leaving. I'm leaving with everything I got given for the glory of God. I am leaving totally spent, broken, and poured out for God. Wow. You know, that's the way I want to leave. Is that the way you want to leave? I don't want to leave going, well, you know, I, I still had some gas in the tank for God, but I just kept it for myself because I, I wanted to make sure I didn't run out. I just wanted to coast. No, I want to make sure that when my life is over, that it is clear that I give everything for the glory of God. Everything. His life was totally consecrated to the Lord. And then he says these words, you know, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Man, do you, do you just see the confidence that is exuberant from his life? Because he's not talking about what he did in his flesh, but how the Spirit of God operated through him. Do we all agree that we cannot fight the good faith on our own? We cannot finish the course on our own. We cannot keep the faith on our own. We can only do that if God works through us. Oh, when he talks about that, he talks about the completion of his life. And you know what I've realized about Paul's life? Is he was able to do whatever it took as long as God got the glory. I thought about that, and I was reading this article in Alabama Baptist this week. And it talked about a very difficult time in the lives of a lot of people in this state. It talked about a time in the early 1900s, 1910, when the boll weevil had made its way from Mexico into the United States and had gotten into Alabama. And by 1916, it had taken over much of the state, much of the southeast. The boll weevils, a devastating insect. You know the story in Enterprise, Alabama. They've got the monument there because... That monument serves two purposes. One, to remind the people of the devastating effects of the boll weevil and what happened, but it also reminds them of a very important change that took place in the lives of many people in that time period that forever changed the course of not just farming but saved a lot of people's livelihoods in that time. You see, in the height of all of this devastation, a very wise, educated man, probably from Tuscaloosa, came into uh, uh, there to, uh, let me see if y'all listen, just uh, uh, came into that area and said, uh, i tell you what the problem is. The problem's not really the boll weevil as bad as it is, but you're going to have to change what you're farming in order to overcome this problem. So in order to do that, because they were losing all the cotton crops, they, he said, well, what do you need to plant? Well, you need to plant peanuts. That's a wise person, I tell you. I like peanuts, don't you? I like almonds. I like cashews. Y'all don't like cashews? Y'all don't like cashews? Y'all are still asleep. Now, look, y'all are the later bunch. Now, y'all are supposed to be awake, right? I like it. So, I like it. So, they said plant peanuts. So, they started planting peanuts. If you go down that area now, there's all kinds of peanuts. They still plant cotton, but they had to make a very important change in order to survive. 
see, Paul understood this about his journey, and he even said, he said that, you know, I became all things to all people that I might by all means save some. Now, does that mean he compromised the gospel? No, he didn't take out the blood, didn't take out the cross, none of that. It's just he realized that sometimes his methods would change in order that the message would go forth, that he would be able to complete his course, that he would be able to finish with faith, and he would be able to finish well. Well, sometimes I think the church, we need to take a lesson from that. And maybe coming out of this pandemic would be a good time for us to understand that sometimes we just got to allow these methods to be altered. We got to allow the methods. We've got to be willing to change in order to not just survive, but be able to thrive. You know, I've met people, and I've seen it all of my ministry, and you probably have too. I've met people that are so resistant to what God wants to do to bring change to them, their church, and their community, that they would rather watch their church die than change, and that is deadly. But it happens all around the world, and it will happen now, and it will happen in the coming days. There will be some who refuse to make any change or alteration. I know there's some folks that say, oh, you know what, there's some people, I don't like that we're having to have two services. Well, you know, I, I don't. it's not my choice either, but I realize that it's important. I hear that. I said, well, that's just splitting up the church. No, I'm trying everything I can to keep everybody together, and the only way we can is to be able to come to the house of God at all possible. So we hear that. Well, I don't like the mask, and I don't like this and I don't like that. Please, under heaven, hear me. We can't get caught up in all that kind of stuff because the real mission is is that we get the gospel out and that the gospel is implanted in the hearts of God's people and the people that are without God that they might realize their sinner, repent of their sins, and trust Jesus. And yes, we might have to alter our methods, but we keep preaching the message. Why? Because the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is a living hope and a beacon to a dark world God help us to complete our course and then my favorite part is verse 8 his devotion to his departure it, it involved his consecration it involved his completion and it involved his coronation look at verse 8 I know everybody likes it when the preacher says finally, don't they? Finally. Which really, you know what, there's a Greek word for what finally means when a preacher says it. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Doesn't mean a thing. <laughs> but Paul knows he's fixing to go home. He's fixing to inherit a home he didn't, he doesn't deserve, he didn't build, he can't buy a ticket to. He said, finally, there's laid up for me the crown of life. Listen to his heart, church, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved. Paul, I'm sure at this point his life was somewhat reflective. I'm sure he probably thought about even his life before he came to know Christ. Y'all ever do that? It wouldn't hurt you as a Christian if you're a born-again child of God. It don't hurt you to remember where you were when God found you. It don't hurt you to remember how lost you were till he 
touched your heart and life. It doesn't hurt you to remember the grace that it took to rescue your falling soul. That's good. That's healthy. You don't want to live there, but you want to reflect there. Paul's saying, I'm sure his mind drifted to that Damascus road. I'm sure his mind drifted to the day he met Jesus. I'm sure his mind drifted to the period of time when he was unable to see. I'm sure his mind drifted through the times that he uh, was being taught, the times he was being groomed and prepared. I'm sure his mind drifted to the, uh, the tragedies that he went through and the beatings that he went through and the time they let him down by a basket down the wall and uh, the time and actually chapter 16 in Philippi where him and Silas were beaten within inches of their life and in midnight they began to sing praises to God and the earth shook and the chains fell and the gates flew open. I'm sure his mind went through all of those times. I'm sure his mind drifted to when he met Timothy down at Lystra and he led him to Jesus and he met his mother and grandmother who loved him so much and nurtured him in his life. I'm sure he uh, began to think about all their journeys together, the good, the bad, and all the in-between. And when all that came together, all he could say was, finally, <laughs> finally, the best is yet to come. Because there's a crown. Not that I earn. Not that's even really for me. But it's for all those who have loved his appearing. There's an old hymn that says these words. There's a happy meeting in heaven I know. There with precious loved ones is gone from behold. The chorus says these words. says, glad day, a wonderful day. Glad day, a glorious day. There with all the holy angels and loved ones. This is my favorite part. Ecstatic. Did y'all hear that? Ecstatic. That will be a glad reunion day. <laughs> I don't know about y'all, but I'm glad we're going to stay. Not a vacation, a destination. So here's my plea to you today. And my question that I want you to answer between you and God is... Your house in order. You know, we got a lot of things now that we use in our earthly homes to keep them in order. We got cabinets to put stuff. We got a broom to sweep up the dust. Vacuum cleaners, washing machines to clean them, dry clothes, and closets to hang them up, and drawers to put them in. I mean, it's we do a lot of things to maintain order in our home, and I'm sure yours is probably different. Mine, yours is all perfectly in order. Everything's just like it was supposed to be. I don't forget years ago, I was talking with this couple, and they said, we've got some serious problems. And I said, well, how can I help you? And the lady began to talk. She says, he folds the towels this way, and I want them rolled up that way. I said, and what else is going on? Oh, that's, that's really it. Oh, y'all don't got no problem. 
That's not a problem. I mean, it was a preference. It wasn't a problem. But a lot of you probably have everything just perfectly tidy and something, you know, and, and, and that's great. But, but we all know that all it takes for things to get out of order is for us to just stop paying attention. I'm afraid that's what happens with people's Christian lives. Things get out of order when we stop paying attention. Because when we don't take care of the little things, they soon become big. And my plea to you today is, get it in order. Don't get it in order based on what anybody else, any guru tells you or self-help person. Go to the Word of God and let the Word of God guide your heart and your life. And if you're not in order, let me remind you, this preacher is not here to hurt you, but help you. I don't want to just tell you what's wrong. I want to help you get it right. And if there is any way under the sun I can do that for you, I would be honored, honored to do it. At the end of the service here in just a minute, you know, because the way things are, one of the most difficult things for me is, is uh, I miss altar prayer. I miss extending invitation people to follow Jesus, but listen, the invitation, though it may be different, it is still being extended. If you need anything from the Lord, if I, this church, can serve you, help you, at the end of this service, I got all my protective equipment here, I, I, I want to help you. And like I told you last week, if leading you to Jesus keeps you from going to hell, that's all that matters. Whatever you need from the Lord, we are here for you. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, so thankful for your word. And I'm thankful, Father, that years ago, a gospel preacher stood in front of me, in front of a congregation, and declared the truth of the word, that the Spirit of God pierced my soul, drew me to repentance, and now I am your child. Father, I pray for those in this room today, if they have any need from you, whether it's a need of salvation, a part of one who does not believe yet, whether it's a need uh, for their service or rededication for one who's just got their house out of order, Father, you know we're here to help because we represent you and you are the divine helper. Father, whatever needs are among your people today, God, may they be obedient as you speak and move as you bid them. Father, help us as individuals and as this church and as a nation to get our house in order, that we would glorify you and bring honor to the name of Jesus Christ. In your name I humbly pray. Amen and amen. Hey, I want you to look this way just a minute before Marty sings us out. Don't let me forget to remind you um, that our offering buckets are at both doors and way in, a regular budget offering. Don't forget our partners in Wakeland City in uh, Utah. God's doing great things through them too, so don't forget that. Uh, and just know this. Um, we're working through everything that, that's been thrown at us. Every church I know is dealing with all sorts of challenges. 
But you know what I'm learning through this? God's reminding me again of how faithful He is. He's been good. Just as Kate was saying about earlier, Dustin played. He's been good. So as we depart today, just remember, keep up with what's going on through social media, the website. If you need anything at all, we're right here for you. We're in no hurry to leave. And um, if you need anything, our office is open 8 to 3. So make sure you know if you need something, you call us. We want to help you. And uh, just know, don't forget, you know God loves you. You know I love you. There's not a thing you can do about it. Let's stand together. Marty, you ready? You, you, you sing when you're ready, buddy.